Transform your business with Microsoft Azure. Easily move workloads with Azure Migrate and Modernize and build new AI solutions with Azure Innovate. Access comprehensive resources, expert assistance, and cost optimization tools. Visit aka.ms slash Azure Hero Offerings to learn more. That's aka.ms slash Azure Hero Offerings. Make sure to use that link to let them know the podcast sent you and support the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my co-host with the most, Ryan Donovan, editor of our blog, the man who pushes send on the newsletter. Ryan, how are you feeling today? Oh, not bad, not bad. Um, we are going to be chatting with Netlify CEO Matt Billman today. He's been on the show a bunch of times, makes a lot of sense. He is a central figure within a central company in the Jamstack community that's driving forward the state of web development. So they released a survey, uh, came out earlier this week, and uh, it's got a lot of stuff to say about what's going on with composable architecture. And then, you know, more pertinent to us here at Stack Overflow, what's going on with the adoption of AI tools and how that relates back to developer productivity as well as improving internal knowledge sharing, which is like kind of what Stack Overflow is all about. So without further ado, Matt, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So you do this survey every year. It used to be called the Jamstack Community Survey. Do you have a sense off the top of your head about how many people participated this year? Yeah, this great this year around the seven thousand developers participated in the in the survey. And they're from all over the world? Yeah, yeah. Nice. So we'll start with the stuff that's near and dear to your heart, and then uh, we'll move on to the mm -hmm. Stack Overflow stuff. Composable architecture unlocks new opportunities for enterprise. You can talk your book a little here. When we talk about tangible business results or cost savings or faster time to market and composable architecture, give me and Ryan some concrete examples, either clients you've worked with or just like here's how you know you would work with a client in X industry about you know how composable architecture is paying dividends at let's call it enterprise level. I think when you think about how we approach it and what it has always meant for us, right? Like there's this notion in, in the whole industry always around like, should you buy something or should you build something, right? Right. And when you think about companies thinking about like how they should build their digital experience for their, for their customers, their web properties across like corporate sites and e-commerce and the dashboards and so on, right? Like they've also always had that kind of question of like, hey, should we buy some platform that then determines how we deliver our customer experience or should we build the whole thing ourselves to really be able to, to, to craft how we represent ourselves to our customers. And I think there was a long time where, especially in, in the large enterprise, but also at smaller scale, right? Like companies were, were really going for the, buy some monolithic piece of software that bundled together, you know, the user experience and the business logic and the data access and content and, and everything, right? And now we're seeing like a clear divergence from that to saying right. like, we need to be able to actually build the user experience that our customers interact with, because otherwise we're going to essentially 
look and feel and behave like any other company that bought the same piece of software that we bought, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of this composable is really just about like, how do we go from that big box with our whole user experience bundled into it to being able to, to say like, hey, I want to be able to build a great experience for our customers across different surface areas and devices and so on. And I want to be able to have the best in class content management and the best in class right. e-commerce behind it and the best in class um, search behind it and so on and so on. Yeah, I like that idea of standing out. That seems like something that makes a lot of sense. Totally. Both on the web and especially mobile web where it's so intimate, you know, you and your phone. Really? In bed, thinking about what you're shopping for. Yeah. And, and when we think about a lot of customers, right? Like think about banks, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe five, 10 years ago, you would fundamentally pick your bank by your experience in like the local bank department and how were the employees there? How does it feel like, right? Like they would put a lot of work into those offices and make them feel a certain way and so on, right? Like today, it's probably really rare. You go to one of those offices and, and it's... <laughs> Probably not the moment where you pick your bank. It's probably a moment where there's something wrong or something, right? right. Like, and almost all your interactions will be through the web or through your phone or through like, yeah. right? Like it'll be a digital experience. No, I noticed that a lot. I think that's a great point. I feel like my bank and my, you know, retirement, per, you know, my, my one of my other financial, they're some of the apps that update the most. I'm getting, I'm getting release notes all the time. They're making tweaks, they're making improvements. They've clearly hired, you know, top notch developer teams to focus on it. That's what it is. Because it's gone to be like the driver for like, what do you see as your brand? Like as right. a brand, right? Like who, who is your bank, right? Like, and that's kind of the same for, for almost any business now, right? Like, and that's why it becomes so important to, to control sure. your own destiny there and be able to execute there. Um, and then when we look at this, we really look at like, how do we enable people to do it fast, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now that I think I care a lot about the app for my insurance provider, is it like hard to use or easy to use? And now my car, you know, like dealing with things with my car, I care a lot about the app. Yeah. So I wanted to touch on the the sort of like headline you threw at us when you contacted us was, uh, you know, the end of the monolith architecture, the death of the monolith. Yeah. Why do you think monolith architectures have survived this long? We've had service-oriented architectures and composable stuff for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they've survived long because like it's true that if you don't have something to glue together the different services in a predictable manner, then it's suddenly up to your team to build and maintain all the connection points and all the complexities that comes from having different services, right? Like, so I think that's obviously a big part where we think we can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. It's a part where, where I already think we had the model, right? Like where, when we talk about Jamstack, right? Like, that was kind of separate idea of starting to take the web UI and decouple it from content, from backend, from services and make it its own thing, right? Like, and right in the beginning, when, when we started Netlify, there were people doing that and doing it really successfully, but it was pretty rare because like there wasn't any sort of platforms around it at the time, right? Like if you wanted to move from like just building a monolithic website to building like a self-standing UI, either statically built or a single page application or anything, right? Like you suddenly also had to just implement all the stuff you took for granted 
in the monolith around like, how do we actually pick up a change and redeploy? And how do you manage release management? How do you orchestrate the whole thing and so on? And once we kind of built like the first front end cloud product, say like here, you just connect your Git repository and, and now that whole piece works. That kind of unlocked the migration there, right? Like that kind of unlocked this whole new ecosystem of modern front end frameworks and just in general treating the web experience as its own thing, right? And I think with, with composable and monoliths, it's very similar, right? Like mm -hmm. if you have to go from having bought like Sitecore, say traditional DXP engine or the full uh, Salesforce commerce cloud and so on, and you're like, okay, we can see that our developers are, are really struggling with building within each mm -hmm. constraints. It's really slow and so on. It's now no longer feels like we can really deliver the right experiences. Mm -hmm. The challenge, and we see this in the survey as well, right? The challenge is really, okay, but how do we actually go from that to being able to introduce new sort of modern content and data sources, so decouple that front end, be able to, to still allow our non-developers to interact with it and understand where it lives and so on. And if there's no sort of platform level answer to that, and it's all just a question of like, good luck, buddy, figure it out, glue it all together, <laughs> build it from scratch, maintain it, right. operate it, so on, right? Like then obviously like going to a vendor with a monolith that say, okay, but we have the whole thing in a box is still appealing, even if like the end result might might not be exactly yeah. where you want it to end yeah. up, right? Like, so we have to reduce the friction if we want to unlock mm -hmm. that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like it's a it's a middle ground between just assembling everything yourself and having the monolith, right? Like, yeah. and I think you'll see a lot more connector stuff developing. And I think another thing you noted in the survey is, right, 44% of developers said they would if they had built with composable architecture, if they had a clear path, so almost half, can't because they lack the resources or the technical talent or they can't get the approval. So, you know, getting off the monolith is not easy. We at Stack Overflow can attest to this. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to shift gears for a second and do the second half of this episode about what's going on with AI. You had a whole section, AI success requires modern world architecture. 80% of developers say they have integrated AI into their workflow and are quickly reaping benefits. They use it to automate manual and repetitive tasks, improve internal knowledge sharing, increase productivity freeing up more time for impactful work. 50% say they are realizing new opportunities such as generating new web projects with a simple prompt or reading API documentation. So let's start with the new opportunities bit. Matt, if you have had experience with this or a client has talked to you about this, tell us about a little bit of how this works you know, in real life. Yeah, I mean, I always look at it as this, the short-term and, and the long-term, right? Like right now we are all seeing a lot of potential in, in generative AI, helping us build the same kind of things that we've been building for the last couple of years with the same overall set of tools that we've been using for the, for the last years, but faster, right? Like, and I think that's a lot of sort of the initial where we see a lot of just obvious opportunities to automate all the manual work and the boilerplate work and what are the things that, that, that we're spending time on that, that if we could just automate it away, we would all totally do it, right? Like, and what we see from the survey is also like, that's the first area that developers are thinking about, right? 74% thinks that, that AI can, can improve 
what they're doing there from where they're sitting, right? Like, so it seems like the obvious sort of low hanging fruit, right? Like, of course, mm -hmm. all the stuff that's boring <laughs> right. and repetitive, mm -hmm. let's get a machine to do it. I have a developer here at my co-working space, uh, Ben from Dev2, and he uses it to generate tests. And he's like, it's great, generates mm -hmm. good tests. I maybe I, I glance over it once. I don't like writing tests. Very helpful. Improves my speed. Totally, yeah. Simple. We ship, for example, a, a, an open source project to do that for your, your storybook components, right? Like we use storybook for our whole component library, right? Like, and it's amazing when you have it, but it's like extra work. You made, made a new component. Now you got to go make the storybook for it with all the different examples and so on, right? Like, so we kill it from our team, open source the project that lets you just like put in the component you wrote, and then it'll give you like the storybook story with all the components, right? Like. Those, yeah. those are just like obvious examples of stuff that's sort of very low hanging fruit. It's right there. It'll totally accelerate how we work and it's great, right? Like, yeah. So that's like the short term thing. Yeah. Well, I, and I think when we uh, did our last survey and, and asked about AI, you know, a lot of people were using it and finding productivity gains, but a lot of people were sort of wary and didn't quite trust it. Did you yeah, find any results around that? We hear a lot that there is a, a fear of actually adopting that. At the same time, from, from the audience in the survey, I would say like we, we really saw that the majority have tried using some AI tooling one way or the other, right? Like in that way, it's really like exploded onto the scenes and, and people are, are trying to figure it out and they're experimenting with it. But we have seen a, a general like also side effect of like, hey, can we trust the output of these models to not infringe on, on copyrights and not get us in trouble. Uh, right. That part of it shines through for sure. Yeah, I've got the survey here. It says 65% uh, were concerned about incorrect answers and information, 52% concerned with security issues and leaking confidential data, 48% uh, concerned about the sort of lack of regulation to your point of like, you know, what legal repercussions might there be? And then 45%, you know, concern that this might lead, you know, to a decrease in code quality that you wouldn't notice right away, but, you know, would become tech debt down the line. So definitely, yeah, uh, you know, more than half uh, or around half thinking about this stuff. Um, you know, we talked about overflow AI and what we're excited about with that and how it lines up with teams and, you know, gen AI really one of the most obvious applications I think is incredible enterprise search. Put all of your data and all of your docs and all of your code repos in here. Let this, you know, foundational model learn this stuff. Maybe fine tune it on your data so it's a little better with that stuff. Or maybe use, you know, retrieval augmented generation. But now you're going to have this unbelievable assistant. Mm -hmm. And so your survey kind of found that there's the automations, like you said, Matt, which are the low hanging fruit, but 42% also using it to improve internal knowledge sharing. So I thought that was really interesting because we've sort of been looking at that same space. Yeah, I think that that that's really interesting, and another sort of both both a short term aspect of like, hey, this can really be useful today for us, right? Like, right, we'll see it both for internal knowledge sharing. I think we'll also see more companies do similar things to how like at Netlify we introduced what we call Ask Netlify, that's both integrated into our docs and into our Slack app and so on, right? Like, that's again kind of like. A model that has access to all of our docs, but also all of our forum posts and like uh, to material from our support teams, sort of internal. Right, the ultimate space. tech support. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And and it's just like the hey, ask it a question and, and it'll go to that and, and it's trained to answer those, right? Like that's another area where I think again, there's this low-hanging fruit that we'll mm-hmm. quickly see becoming really useful. Then I think that's yeah. the other area that's like everything is gonna completely change from this over the next five years, right? Like <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, people were, were saying in that later section, well, what if the information is incorrect? You know, mm-hmm. what, you know, what if I don't know how it's licensed? I mean, that's one of the sort of benefits of, you know, searching on Stack Overflow where yeah. you know how the code is licensed or internally, you know, at least having sort of like a crowdsourcing system that's saying like, this is the best answer for this question and this information is up to date, right? Like that gives you a little bit more if the AI system can cite its sources, which people are learning how to you know, train them to do, that gives you a little bit of ground truth to work with. Totally agree, right? Like that is, as you said in the survey, everybody have that, you know, okay, but sometimes these models come, comes up with, right. with stuff that looks very real mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. that it looks like they're very certain of, but that's completely wrong, right? right? I, how right. do I differentiate between the answers it gives that are completely right and the ones that it gives with equal confidence? Right. It doesn't I, give a confidence score. It should yeah. give a confidence score. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Matt, let's have fun with our last five minutes here. Yeah. What are you dreaming about? You're saying there are things coming that will totally change everything. I mean, yeah. you're saying we don't know what they are yet. So, okay. But what are you dreaming about? What are the, the things you would be most excited to bring to the table? Or, you know, if you're able to give us a, a generalized view of where your roadmap is going, yeah, talk yeah. to us about what gets you super excited in this space. I mean, real big picture, I, I think we will see what I call UI 2.0, right? Like I think every single user interface we built since like the very first computers was based on the core constraint that a computer requires precise instructions. And then it will do something like predictable based on that, right? Like, but all of our user interfaces are fundamentally build around that kind of interaction with a computer. And I think widely that constraint just started completely going away, right? Like, so if we really rethink how we should build user interfaces from first principles, when, when that's no longer the constraint, how are they actually going to behave, right? Like, because the end game there is also not like a chatbot sitting and typing in like this right. and getting text back, right? Like you still want to interact with like, visual information that you can sift through and that you can right. interact with, right? Like you still want visual user interfaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to interject something here. We actually just did an episode with a cool startup called Command Bar. And the oh, idea there yeah. is, you know, if you see a user incorrectly using something or searching for something, you know, over and over again, you give them a pop-up, but it's not a pop-up because mm-hmm. people hate those, but you guide them to the right place in the yeah. UI so they don't make that mistake. And I think what you're what you're talking about is really, yeah, this amazing idea of like, it's the platonic ideal of Clippy, right? Like I'm in the software and if mm-hmm. at some point I don't understand it, it's gonna guide me to the right button. And if at some point it sees I'm clicking three buttons when I could be clicking one, it's gonna say, hey, like I'm gonna walk you through this now. I think we'll see it go much further than that. I think like we're seeing the early parts of like helping software developers build UIs, right? Like, but I think we'll also get to a point where you can kind of like construct your app with like sort of a whole toolkit for what kind of UIs should the model be able to construct on the fly that you can interact with, right? Like in a way where rather than having this like strictly upfront defined UI, as you're digging into a problem and working with this model and solving it, it will give you the right kind of 
right. data visualizations that you can interact with and dig into. It'll yeah. give you the right set of actions that you can reach out to and tweak and so on, right? Like I think there's a lot to be said to how on the fly they will be generated. Yeah, uh, it's interesting you say that. I got the same thing from the guy at Command Bar. He was sort of saying, yeah, like UIs will now be personalized to maybe the situation, like you said, or maybe the user. And then we got a hint of this when we watched, and it's not been publicly released, the Gemini demo. You know, you ask it a question and it creates a UI that's appropriate to then working on that project, right? And if mm. the project changes, it, you know, refactors the UI on the fly. So if that is something that is, is not just a demo, but really works, yeah, software 2.0 uh, or UI 2.0. I like it. Yeah, totally. So I was wondering if um, you all at uh, Netlify engineers and such use Gen AI for your daily work. We do. I mean, I try to encourage our engineering team to adopt it as much as possible. We are obviously like co-pilot customers and make that available to all of our team. But I actually, I, I still see a lot of engineers, even at Netlify, that are wary about adopting it, right? Like I do see like a, a wariness where I still feel I have to even drive like encouragement into like, I, I want you all to, to adopt it. Because I, I think, one, I think there's a certain fear of like, hey, well, these tools sort of replace us as engineers that, that I just don't think is, is, is going to be true. I think the other thing is going to be true that like as an engineer, your craft will to a large degree be defined by how good you are at interacting with these tools and, and using them for things, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm really keen on, on having engineers adopt them as early as possible and learn how to wield them to do things with. Because I think more and more of our jobs as engineers over time will be to wield these things, understand mm -hmm. their strengths and limitations and how to get them to be effective on our behalf. Mm -hmm. And I think as that happens, we'll see the, the number of developers grow rather than shrink. Right, right. right. Yes. Even us marketing fools. We'll be developers on the side. I'll be developing a few little things. I made a dog park app in collaboration with ChatGPT. So that was fun. All right, everybody. It is that time of the show. Let's shout out a user who came on Stack Overflow, helped to share a little bit of knowledge and save a question from the dustbin of history awarded two days ago to Petrus Theron, provided an answer and a ordered a lifeboat badge. How can I make a public struct where all fields are public without repeating pub for every field? If you want to stop repeating pub so much, we have an answer for you and uh, helped around 20,000 people. So we appreciate it. As always, I am Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow. Find me on X at Ben Popper. Shoot us an email with questions or suggestions, or if you want to come on the podcast, that's cool too. It's podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you enjoyed this show and your game to move forward to UI 2.0, leave us a review because it helps the program. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at Arthur Donovan. I'm Matt Bielman, CEO and co-founder of Netlify. You can find me on Twitter or Freds or Mastodon or wherever the platform of choice is for you, if you can figure out how to spell Bealman. <laughs>
I'm going to put that in the show notes. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you soon. <laughs>